we are a beautiful spring morning. <laughs> it's turning around. I see it next week. I think they, I saw 70. So just hang in there. All right. Today we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians. So if you would like to turn there, you can. We're not going to uh, jump right into it right away. But if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you want to use, um, we're going to be going through chapter one of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a letter that is written by Paul to a church that he started in the city of Philippi. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, was a very passionate individual. Even before his dramatic encounter in his, with Jesus and his conversion, he was a very driven person. Paul, or Saul as he was known as a young man, um, he was a Jew, and, and when he was maybe 13 or 14 years old, uh, this is not, not certain, but somewhere around that age is usually when, when people who would study under a rabbi, under a rabbi would go and uh, move and follow, follow this new teacher. And so he went, presumably at 13 or 14 years old, to Jerusalem to study under a Jewish rabbi and, a, and actually a leader in the Sanhedrin named Gamaliel. Now, it was quite an honor for anybody to be accepted as a student to a rabbi. Not everybody, not anybody who wanted to, could just become a student of a rabbi. They had to be chosen. They had to be approved by the rabbi. And to be chosen and approved by somebody as highly respected as Gamaliel uh, was a great privilege. And it showed that even at a young age that there was something they saw in Paul or Saul that he was a very diligent person. He was hardworking and he was hungry for wisdom. Paul says of himself in Acts that as Gamaliel's student... He carefully trained, he was carefully trained in Jewish laws and in customs, and he became very zealous to honor God in everything that he did. He was committed to the practice and the protection of what he believed to be true. In Philippians, it said that he said of himself, he said that he obeyed the law without fault. He was all in. The law was his life, and he was devoted to following it. Paul was so passionate about honoring God and honoring the law that when he saw this new sect of, of people that were following Jesus, this, this offshoot of, of the Jews that were starting to take people that were Jews and, and convert them to this new way, um, he wouldn't stand for it. He was going to protect what he knew to be true or what he believed to be true. And he began arresting all the followers of Jesus that he could find. And he wasn't content just with the followers that he found in Jerusalem. He started to start a campaign where he was going to start going out to the surrounding cities. And he was going to go out to Damascus and he was going to hunt down Christians wherever he could find them. Paul was passionate. Paul, at a, at a young age, found that one thing in life that he believed really mattered and he put everything he had into it. But we know that when Paul met Jesus face-to-face, -face, that the direction of his life changed. But this character trait of being fully committed and being passionate for God and his word did not change. In fact, he barely missed a beat. After, after meeting Jesus, um, it said that he, he, he believed. Um, he was blinded when he met Jesus. So he was, he was led to Damascus blind. Um, his sight was restored. He'd prayed and fasted for a few days. For a few days. After his sight was restored, he, he ate some food, regained his strength for a couple of days. And it said that he immediately went and started 
preaching. Uh, in verse 19 and 20 in Acts 9, it says, After he had ate some food and regained his strength, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. And once he started preaching, he just didn't stop. He, you know, just, uh, it became his mission. It was, it was his life. It was his purpose. It was his reason for joy. His, it was entirely, um, his entire reason for existing was to bring glory to God. And, and he, um, it was all wrapped up now in this faith in Jesus Christ. So just in the past as he was not content just stopping the Christians in the city he was in, now he was not content just sharing the gospel in the city he was in. And for the next 30 years, for the rest of his life, he, he spent traveling throughout Asia Minor and through Europe, um, telling Jews and Gentiles alike about Jesus, starting churches, developing leaders. He was committed. Now, on his second missionary journey, he left Antioch with Silas, a namesake here, um, with, the, with the intention to go back and visit all the cities that he'd gone to on his first missionary journey. Um, shortly into the trip, though, as, as they were traveling, um, and after they'd picked up a, a young believer named Timothy, they sensed the Holy Spirit was telling them not to minister in Asia. And so they continued through Asia, and they decided to head north to Bethina. But then again, as they were heading there, they felt the Holy Spirit holding them back. So at this point, they're kind of running out of directions to go. Um, God, they knew that God wanted to send them someplace that they hadn't been before, um, but they weren't sure what to do. They, they'd come kind of from the, from the south. They knew that they weren't supposed to go, you know, to the, back to the south or go to the north or to the east because that was part of, part of the Asia and, and part of the place where they had planned to go. And so they thought, well, let's start heading west. So as they started to head west, God confirmed that direction to them uh, in a vision. In Acts 16, verse 9, it says that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So they had clear direction. They head over uh, to Macedonia. And as soon as they they land, and um, I forget the name of the town, Nepali or something like that, is where they landed. And then they went from there immediately to Philippi, is where they first started ministering. Uh, Paul had uh, ministered in a lot of places, and he developed a lot of friendships with a lot of different people, but the believers in Philippi were going to be a great joy to him. Uh, their relationship was going to be something kind of special, a little bit different than, than maybe some of the other ones. They were going to be very close, very connected. It was, it was, they were so close that they were um, said to be one of the only churches that that supported Paul as he went to other cities and other towns. And as he, they heard that he needed help, they would send gifts to him. So this letter to the Philippians was actually written on the heels of their latest gift. At the time that Paul writes this letter, it's been about 10 years from when they had first met and what we read in back in Acts. And um, he'd stopped in at least a couple times between there. It's hard to know how much they were able to send 
word back and forth, but, but it seems like they were able to kind of communicate a little bit from time to time. When Paul was about 50 years old, he had been um, imprisoned. And after being imprisoned, he got brought before different authorities, and then he got shipped to Rome. He'd been shipwrecked. Uh, he's, he'd been three years in prison or in being transferred around before he ended up in Rome. And so once he got to Rome, he was on house arrest, but he was, he was responsible for taking care of himself. He, he, they weren't provided you know, food and entertainment like prisons today. So he had to, he had to have funds in order to live. And so, um, so he is, his close friends in Philippi heard of his situation and they sent Epaphroditus, one of their um, fellow Philippians, to go to Rome with gifts for Paul to aid him as he's on house arrest. Um, he also brought word of how the church on, in Philippi is doing. And so this letter is Paul's response. It's his thanks, it's his love, it's his encouragement back to those believers in Philippi that had sponsored him, that have cared for him and, uh, and been such a joy for, to him for so many years and have now continued to offer their support. So with that, we'll jump into Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. This is a letter from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Uh, it says Paul and Timothy. Uh, it, it's speculated that, uh, that they mentioned Timothy here because, like I said, they had picked up Timothy on their way to go um, on that second missionary journey. So they, they knew Timothy, and Timothy was with him. It doesn't necessarily mean that Timothy was the author here. He's just, uh, Paul is writing it on behalf of the two of them as they're together in Rome, and Timothy is kind of helping care for him. Um, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, sometimes it, I feel like with some of the, the letters, we can kind of blow past these first couple verses and think it's just kind of an introduction. It's just kind of a, a who it's from and who it's to. But there's a lot more to this than just a from and to. Uh, there's a real expression here of who Paul and Timothy are, where they find their identity, and who the believers in Philippi are in, their, in relationship to God. So this letter is not just, it's not just shooting the breeze with some friends. This is a letter that God is writing through Paul that is meant to be an encouragement and instruction to them. And, and through this instruction, um, they're going to be blessed. And so uh, this, is, this is important. So the Philippians, through this introduction, through being, being called God's holy people and belonging to Jesus, he's saying um, that, that those who belong to Christ Jesus, um, you can be expecting that through this letter, God is going to minister to you grace and peace. So to, so to receive it, not as just friends, but as holy people that belong to Christ Jesus. So this letter wasn't written to us. It was written to the Philippians, but it was written to all those who belong to Christ Jesus. So therefore, those of us who belong to Christ Jesus, there's still principles here that are applicable to us for our life and, and for godly living. And so through receiving these principles and applying them, we can also expect to receive God's grace and God's peace. So as we continue through this book, Let's pray that we hear these words as God's holy people that belong to Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray before we dig in any further. Lord, I pray that 
you would uh, meet with us, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us. Um, Lord, we recognize that, uh, that our identity is as your holy people, that we've been made righteous through the work of your Son, and that uh, we belong to you. We've committed ourselves to you, Lord. And so as we hear these instructions, as we hear this encouragement, Lord, let it be a blessing to us that it would uh, stir us up, that it would motivate us to follow you more dearly, more closely, and to love you um, like we never have before, Lord. We just pray that you would um, minister to us through these words of Paul to his dear friends in in Philippi, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So back then, obviously, Paul was not able to get around as quickly as, as we are today. And without the technology we have, he wasn't able to keep in close communication and see how they're doing. So he's feeling, you know, a, a desire to really, you know, communicate with them his feelings for them. Because, I mean, it's been a trying time. He's been, he's been prison, shipwrecked, all this stuff going on. He's been receiving support in the past from them. Now, you know, to receive a gift when you're in, in this sort of situation, to know that there's still people out there that care for you, he's anxious to send back word of, of just how grateful he is to that. So, um, so this is his letter about this. So we're going to look at uh, verse 3. It says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and my defending and confirming of the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you, and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. So as we read this, you can feel, you can sense Paul's love for his friends. And kind of mixed in there, it seems like there's a little bit of um, just how much, how proud he is of them, that they have continued to follow Christ. It brings him great joy to know that they are standing strong in their faith. As I mentioned earlier, when Paul was first saved and baptized, he immediately began preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Now he sees those that he loves following that example, that they've poured their lives into um, those that he's, those that he poured his life into are now pouring their lives into others. And they're, they're pouring, they're continuing to pour their support and life into Paul so that he can spread the good news as well. And so he's just excited that they have really found what really matters. Paul was committed to this one thing that he knows really matters and he put him whole, his whole self into it. And so now uh, he's seeing those that he's brought up from babes in Christ that have, and they're, they're following that example and they're living it out and is just filling his heart with joy. Um, so today uh, we have the ability to communicate with people instantaneously we can we can send a message across the globe in a moment um but even with all of this ability to communicate you know when is the last time that you received or sent a letter like this 
Like it's powerful. These, for, for those believers in Philippi to receive this letter and to receive this encouragement, it, it meant something to them. It was an encouragement to them. Imagine being the recipient of this letter to have your friend, to have your mentor tell you how much they care about you, to tell you how much joy they have in seeing you continue in your faith, that, that you are saying, you know, you're serving so well, you're raising your children so well, as, you know, raising them up to be godly men and women, the way you've shown love and supported other people. I'm so excited that you are walking in in what what you've learned in your your relationship with God and that you're you're showing it everywhere you go and everything that you do um it's important that we mimic that that we copy that that when we see other people that especially you know ones that we we have close relationships to that we encourage them in their faith um and, and uh, as we, this morning, we dedicated Silas and we have this talking about this parent-child relationship, it, you know, how, how important is it for our kids, you know, whether they're your kids or whether they're kids that you've taught in Sunday school class or last year we kind of partnered up and connected some adults with them, some kids as they went to camp and, and you kind of prayed for them and gave them, gave them a gift. But to, to be able to build those relationships and then speak to those kids and let them know how excited you are that they've decided to follow Jesus and, and, and recognize the, the things that they're doing and encourage them to continue them. Um, it's a powerful thing. And it, and it can have an impact that, that will go for years. And, uh, and how rewarding will that be, you know, when, when you have poured yourself into one of these kids or, or somebody who's new in their faith and you've, you've helped encourage them and seen them grow and now you see them pouring themselves into others to, to just be filled with joy. That's what you're hearing in Paul's letter here. He's just so excited that they are living out what he taught them. And he, he kind of continues that thought a little bit as we move into uh, verse 9 and 10. It says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So Paul's prayer is that their love would overflow in knowledge and discernment. There's a connection there between their love being in knowledge and discernment. And then he clarifies even more by saying that he wants them to be able to approve what is excellent. So the, the word approve is the Greek word dakamadso. Dakamadso means to, to try or to test something, to, to test it to reveal what is good. Okay, so that, that's what it means to approve, to, to reveal what is good. So back in verse 9, Paul says, um, he said he prays that our love would abound, but he also says that it has to abound within bounds. There's, there's some discernment, there's some knowledge that, that has to direct our love. There are boundaries for love. There are people out there who seem to argue that, that if there's love, then it's, it's all good. You know, uh, l- there's no restrictions. Any restriction on love would be bad, but we know that's not true. That's not what God says. There, that's not what he teaches in his word. God does not love what is evil. Right? So we shouldn't love things that are evil either. So that's where we need the knowledge and discernment to figure out what is good and what's not. Those who belong to Jesus need to grow in their knowledge so that we can dakamatso, if I'm saying that right, probably not, um, but so that we can test and approve 
what is really worthy of receiving love and what is not worthy of receiving love. Uh, one example of a boundary of love we see in 1 Timothy uh, 6.10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So that's, that's, a, that's a godly boundary for love. And for your, it's for your own good, because if you, if you don't have that boundary and you start to love money, you start to put your trust in money, now all of a sudden you're not trusting in God and you can wander from your faith. So, you know, God does not put in boundaries that are just arbitrary, just kind of um, haphazard. I don't know if that's the right word, but he, there's a reason. It's for our good. He created us to live in these bounds, and that's where we're going to find joy and peace. So God established all kinds of boundaries for love, including um, how we should love our possessions, love of food, love of ourselves. His law defines what love should look like between believers, what it should look like between unbelievers, what it should look like between parents and children, what it should look like um, in marriage. And he, and he placed all these boundaries of what is excellent, you know, what things are excellent, what things deserve our love, and how that love should be expressed to one another. And that's why um, the reason why it's so important that we understand this is because it says uh, in Philippians 1.10, it said that, says that when, you're, when our love abounds within bounds, you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The, the New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day that Christ returns. Okay, so we need to understand the boundaries of love so that we can walk in purity, so we can walk blameless in God's sight, so that we can be a good example to each other, so we can be a good example to our children, as we talked about in the dedication. Um, but, but we want to honor God with all that we are. Um, and that brings me to the next point. So at, at my house, we've been going through this book. I always forget the name of it. But anyways, essentially, it, it has a bunch of um, it has questions, and it has an answer, and it has a verse that supports the answer. And so um, we've been going through this, and we, we take a note cards, and we put the question, the verse, and the answer up on the wall. And we spend a week or so uh, going through it after supper, just trying to memorize some of this stuff. And so uh, the, the verse, or the, the question, I should say, that we've been working on is what is sin? And um, the, the condensed answer is that sin is rejecting God and not following what he requires in his law. So that's kind of our, our condensed answer of what is sin. But a couple of days ago, I thought um, I would give a kind of a bonus question. I said, why is it that we don't want to sin? What is it that causes us to choose not to do what seems tempting? Is it because the Bible says so, because we know it's a, it's a law? Or is it because we love God and we long to please him? So sometimes it seems like if we, if we find ourselves continuing to sin, that it's because our love is kind of out of bounds. You, you can have a, a list of, of laws and, and rules, uh, but if you don't have any reason, if, you don't have, if, you're, if, it's, if it's not coming from somebody that you love and respect and you want them to be pleased with you, or if it's not coming from somebody who has authority over you and can punish you if you, if you don't follow them, then why would you, you know, why would you do them? I, that has never worked in my life. If I, if there's a rule and I didn't have either love or fear, um, 
you know, at least as a child, especially I, I had a harder time following that rule. Um, but, uh, but when we find our love abounding for God, then we want to please him. We desire not to make him mad. We want him to be pleased with us. Now there's the flip side too, that we also recognize that God is an authority, that God has power. We recognize who he is and that there's a judgment. So there's a, there's a reason to fear and respect God as well. But between the two, you know, we have a reason to not sin. We have a reason to, to follow him. And we need that love to abound for God so that we don't go off and, and have our love go out of bounds. Paul, writing this uh, to the Philippians, he wanted them to experience with him the joy that comes from living as those who belong to God. It is our actions under that identity that will produce fruit, the fruit of our salvation or the, pr- or the fruit of righteousness uh, is what uh, one translation says. Verse uh, 11, Philippians 1.11 says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And when the Bible talks about fruit, it's, it's talking about what is the result of something. Uh, just like you'd expect the result of having an apple tree is that it would produce, the expected result would be that it would produce apples, right? That's what you would expect. So what would you expect to see from someone who belongs to Jesus. Well, someone who, who listens to his teaching, someone who is trying to imitate him, someone who has the spirit of God living in their hearts and, and is striving to be obedient to everything that the spirit um, tells them. What is the expected fruit of that person? Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. You would expect a person who belongs to Christ to act in a way that is good and right and true. And that they would be careful or intentional in what they do because they desire to bring glory to God. Looking back at Ephesians 11, it says part of of living outside of that, part of living in darkness, um, is that that we, um, was that those activities, not not that they were all sinful, but but many of them were just worthless. There, There was no worth to them. So, Paul, like I said, he's so passionate. He's trying to take advantage of every opportunity. You see this, you know, I mean, he's chained in jail and he's using his opportunity to, to minister. He, you know, when he was um, in, in prison, you know, before he got sent, he, he uh, was brought before authorities and he used the opportunity to share the gospel to, to Felix and Festus. And, and so he is he's making the use of every opportunity where some of us might think, you know, well, when this bad situation is over and I'm free, you know, then I'll do something good. But Paul's making the, the most of every opportunity. And so um, 
he doesn't want anything to be worthless. He doesn't want us to do anything that's going to just be worthless activity. There are activities that we can get tied up in that, like I said, are not inherently sinful, but they can rob us of our ability to produce fruit, just kind of spinning our wheels. As I said earlier, Paul seems to be just amazingly focused and driven in every moment, every situation, every aspect of life. I'm sure he wasn't perfect at it. I'm sure he missed opportunities just like we do. Um, but he set a great example of what it could look like to let love abound when th- even when things look like they're going wrong. I mentioned at the beginning that uh, he'd been held captive for three years and, uh, and his response for this, to this whole situation and, and not just the three years, but kind of where he's at right now, his response to that in Philippians 1, 12 through 19, he says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Paul's experience is that he's been imprisoned and chained to a guard every day. And in the process of getting to this point, he's been beaten and shipwrecked. And on top of that, while he's a captive, he's got people who are trying to probably slander his name. They're trying to elevate themselves over him. And uh, and they're doing it purposefully to hurt him. It says they, they're intending to make his chains feel heavier. Um, they're, they're hitting him when he's down, when he can't go out and defend himself. But what is Paul's evaluation? Just joy that the good news is being spread. Paul's not complaining at all. He's like, you know, when you're chained to a guard, that's a good opportunity to be able to minister to somebody. I've got a captive audience. You know, the result of that is that the whole palace guard knows who Jesus is. And for some reason, and I don't, I don't know if I completely understand, but him being in jail has emboldened people, whether it's the, the people who don't like him or the people who love him, but they feel more bold to go and profess their faith. So, the, so not only is the gospel spreading in here inside the, the palace guard and, and stuff, but, but, outside of my imprisonment, we're seeing the gospel spread even more. So we may think, how can he be joyful when he's in prison and being slandered? And the answer is that he's living for what really matters. The rest, he said, he said that, that other stuff just doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter that there's people saying bad things about me. The gospel is spreading. That's the thing. That's the one thing. That's, that's what matters. That's what I'm living for. Um, so I'm happy, you know, if, if my main thing is, is thriving, like I have reason for joy. 
So as long as he is seeing God glorified in all, he can find joy in whatever situation he finds himself in. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Philippians 1, verse 20 through 26 says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go home and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Sometimes uh, watching a TV show or a movie, you will hear somebody uh, make a great proclamation of their love where they'll, they'll tell the one that they love that they will die for them. They're willing to die for them. In fact, the other day I, I saw this little video clip. It was, it was a husband and a wife and, and the husband was professing his love for his wife and saying how his life was empty before he met her and, and just all of these beautiful things. And he says, in fact, I would die for you. And his wife said, have you taken out the garbage? And, <laughs> and, and he looks at her even more seriously and passionately. I would die for you. That's nice. It, it is, I mean, it's a great sentiment, and, and, it, and, it, and it kind of speaks of his great love. But I think she wants him to live for him a little bit, or live for her a little bit. You know, She wants to see something happen today. Um, not, not just, you know, I mean, really dying for her, might just offer her more work to do. Um, but <laughs> but uh, Paul is, uh, he's pondering the same sort of sediment, you know, that it would be better for him if he would die. He would be able to be with, with Christ. I mean, he can, he's willing to die for Christ, but he knows that it would be better for the people, he knows that that God would receive more glory, that His work would be furthered if He lived. And so, even though to him he's a little bit torn, like he is willing to do better than die. He's he's willing to go beyond that. He's willing to live for God. Life can can speed past. You know, days, weeks, months, even years can kind of fly by, and. Uh, if we're not discerning and approving what is excellent, what is, what is good and what is worthless, we could die without really living much for what matters. Paul was filled with joy when he was able to see that the labor that he'd done was not in vain, that, that he had poured himself into people who had received it and have grown and, and matured and they're feeding themselves and pouring, pouring out their faith into those around them and, and supporting ministry and he's overjoyed. The Philippians to him were living proof that God was being glorified by what he was doing. 
And so even after 20 years of ministry, suffering persecution, he was just as determined as he was in the beginning that he was going to continue to help people grow in the Lord, that he was going to keep on pouring out into them. So regardless of how long you've been in your faith and how, how much you've done in the past, you know, Paul's an example of somebody who's been through a lot and has given a lot and he's dedicated that to the end. He's going to pour out more and more and more of himself to see, uh, to see people grow in their faith and be able to experience that joy of seeing God glorified in the lives of other people. So um, let's stand. We're going to sing a song. And uh, let's let Paul's example stir us up to live lives that would bring glory to God. Lord, we just uh, we praise you. We thank you that uh, you found it fitting, that you found it... Uh, within your, your will to, to love us, uh, to, to create us in the beginning, really, and, and to, to want to have relationship with us, make a way for that, Lord. Um, we're so thankful that we are able to belong to you, that we're able to live a life that can focus on something that really matters, that, uh, that we can produce fruit that has eternal implications, um, that we can experience a love that is overflowing, that's overwhelming, that's, that's un, undefinable, really. Uh, Lord, we just are so grateful that, that we can know you, Lord, because uh, you are so worthy. You're so worthy. We look at the, the, the world around us. We look at your creation, Lord. We, we can see your majesty in all of it, Lord. And, and you choose to know us, Lord. And, and then you choose to use us to, to be vessels of your mercy and your grace, to be vessels of your love. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us uh, to grow in that love, that that love would abound more and more uh, for you, Lord, and then overflowing out of us to those around us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would guide us and direct us, that, that we would... Um, know where to, to pour that love out, Lord, that we would do it within bounds and that we would do it uh, towards our fellow believers and, and be encouragements to them, that they would grow in their faith and that they would continue to produce and that the, the, the people that they pour into would grow in their faith and that they would uh, be able to pour into the next generation and the next, Lord. We just, uh, we're filled with so much joy to see your word uh, be planted in the hearts of others and grow and produce, Lord. And uh, I just pray that that you'd help us to see that more and more, no matter what situation we're in, um, no matter what life throws at us, that we would look for that opportunity, that we would look for that um, that thing that is 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 of worth, that is of value, that we can do, whether the situation looks bad, Lord, we, we can find uh, in you a way to bring it a reason for joy, Lord, to use it to share your word, to spread the gospel, and um, to see your kingdom uh, grow and your name be honored. I pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Philippians one twenty seven says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, 
I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So let's live as those who belong to Jesus with our love abounding more and more for God and for each other, and that we encourage one another, that we are standing together in one spirit with one purpose to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to each other and to the world. So go in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, bringing glory to God. Amen? Amen. Amen.